Today on the show, we've got a couple of listener request movies, starting with On the Count of Three from 2022 and Mayhem from 2017. Check it out. Alright everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for stopping by, I do appreciate it. Today on the show, as I mentioned, I'm trying to get through these listener requests because, you know, it's just, it's something I wanted to do. I wanted to give people a chance to like see the movie that they wanted put on the show to be, you know, covered. So I decided I would get into that. But first off, I want to talk about, I've been struggling trying to land on what streaming service for music I want to use and there's a lot of different options but really for me it comes down to three you've got Spotify Apple Music and Amazon Music okay now Spotify I is what I've been using for quite a while now I I used to be a big Apple Music guy but then the app started having glitches and stuff in it that made me go in another direction. I was just like, all right, I'm not dealing with this anymore. You know, if the music's going to stop playing for no reason and things are going to freeze up, then what the fuck am I supposed to do? So I just, I moved to Spotify and I found that I liked it quite a bit. I mean, there were some features I missed from Apple Music, but like, Nothing so significant that would make me turn back and try again. Now I'm at this point where I want to get Apple TV, you know, Apple Plus or whatever it is. And it's very uh, difficult trying to decide because like if you get app, if you get just Apple TV, it's $4.99 a month, but you can't share it with anybody. And ordinarily I wouldn't mind, but I share a lot of streaming services with my sister and brother-in-law. And so I feel kind of obligated to pay my portion of it, you know? So, and not to mention there are a lot of great shows on Apple TV that a lot of people are talking about like Ted Lasso and uh, oh that one with Adam Scott I can't remember what it's called but it, it just seems like it it's a good option so with with Spotify you've got no separation this is the big problem there there's a big podcast presence on Spotify and if you want to listen to music and listen to podcasts you're kind of screwed if you if you're in the middle of a playlist and you don't want to lose your spot Spotify doesn't give you any kind of option to go back to where you were in that playlist and start right there. You have to start all over again or try and figure out where you were. And if you were on shuffle, then you're kind of fucked. And they, so it's like there, there's that issue because I'd like to listen to podcasts on Spotify, but I don't want to listen to them so bad that I want to do that. And then uh, you just, I feel like you need separation. You know, you need to be able to say, okay, I'm switching to podcast mode. Now I'm going to listen to podcasts and that's how it's going to be until I decide to switch back. And with Apple, you know, you don't have the issue of the podcasts because Apple has their own separate podcast app, which is probably the way it should be. And like I said, I've had some glitches and stuff like that on that app and I, I'm antsy about going back to it. And there's, but I'm ready to get hurt again, I guess. So I'm, I'm toying with it because... 
if you get Apple One, which is a bundle of subscriptions that is like, you know, Apple Music, Apple TV, uh, the Game Center, and I, I want to say one other, but it's like, it's a pretty decent deal for what you get. Oh, you get you get 200 gigs of, cl- of cloud storage, which is actually appealing to me. I really like that. But they just, like I said, it's, I'm an antsy kind of guy. I don't like to to go back into the belly of the beast and, and take my chances like that. It's kind of tough to do. Um, and then you've got Amazon, which is not a great app, like, the layout, the interface is not good. And then on top of that, I once tried to convert over over to Amazon Music, but and I did the unlimited plan because if you are, if you're a Prime member, you get a lot of music for free, but not that much. And so I wanted to do the unlimited, which was similar to Spotify's premium and Apple Music's subscription service. It, it's like I couldn't find shit that I wanted on. Amazon. Like there were way too many songs because I have this app called Song Shift that allows you to transfer playlists between one app and the other. It's a good app, but it, it showed me that there were like a ton and it wasn't just like a glitch in the transfer. It was like they clearly had, um, what do I want to say here? Like they, they clearly just had ones that weren't on Amazon Music at all. And like you would have to buy the songs or some of them weren't even available in any capacity and then it's like the only the only real bonus for me is I'm a big Garth Brooks fan and it would be great to be able to listen to it because he's exclusive to Amazon he doesn't have his music anywhere else even for purchase and that's really shitty to me like I, I really wish Garth Brooks would not do that I wish he would make it so it was available on more streaming services and not you know make it so exclusive because he like did the same thing with Walmart where it was like he was exclusive with Walmart and I'm like why are you doing this Garth why so for the Amazon reasons that I've given I I can't really go all in on Amazon ever again because I just I I would love to get some Garth Brooks but at the same time it's not as it's not what I want it to be you know so it's like I I don't want to sacrifice everything just to listen to Garth Brooks and I can still listen to his greatest hits on the regular prime membership. So I'll just do that. And that's, so I'm, I'm right now I'm on a trial, a month long trial of Apple one, which is the bundle service. And it's, it's pretty, uh, it's been pretty decent so far. I've still got really to dig into the Apple TV stuff, but it's really good. I mean, like it's, it's solid and I'm, I'm thinking I might stick with Apple for a while and see, you know, if there's anything that I hate about it. But as of right now, I haven't found anything and hopefully those glitches that I had in the past don't creep back up and, you know, haunt me. So the first movie we have is the movie On the Count of Three, released May 13th, 2022, directed by Jared Carmichael, or Gerard, I don't know if it's Gerard or Jared, and... Written by Ari Katcher and Ryan Welch. Produced by, well, multiple producers. There weren't really, you know, there wasn't really one standout producer. The score was composed by Owen Pallett. And the main star of the movie is actually the director, Jared Carmichael. He plays the character Val. He was in Neighbors 1 and 2, The Disaster Artist, Transformers The Last Night, and Mid-90s, which is a movie 
directed by Jonah Hill, and I really did not like that movie. I didn't think it was that good at all. Next up, we've got Christopher Abbott, plays the character of Kevin. He was only really ever in Whiskey Tango Foxtrot that I recognize as a name of a movie, you know? Like, it, it nothing stood out to me that was, like, a big movie he'd been in. We have Tiffany Haddish, who played the character Tasha. Uh, she was in Keanu, the Key and Peele movie. She was in Uncle Drew, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which that's just, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to, to get myself to watch that Nicolas Cage movie. It's it's too much of a ordeal to have to deal with Nicolas Cage. And so I'll just say, probably not. I'm probably going to pass on it. Then we have Henry Winkler. He plays Dr. Brenner. He was in Happy Days, obviously. He had a... Uh, recurring role on Arrested Development, and he was in a bunch of Adam Sandler movies, and he was in that show Barry that's on HBO. I mean, he's been in a lot of other stuff. He was in Night Shift with Michael Keaton, but for the most part, you know, it's like he's, unfortunately, like, it took him a really long time, I think, to get out of being typecast as uh, Fonzie from Happy Days. So, I mean, lucky him, you know, he, he, made quite the career for himself after that and after probably fearing that his career was dead. Then we have J.B. Smoove, who plays Lindell, and he was in Curb Your Enthusiasm, SNL. Uh, he, he wrote, and I think he was like a, a primetime player on SNL. He was in The Millers, which I don't really know much about, and he was in Date Night and Hall Pass. So he's not exactly like, somebody that's like a great stand-up comedian to me and he's he's also not a great actor but he's kind of a funny guy so it's like he, he's he's good in some things you know and there were no major casting notes for this movie unfortunately there just wasn't a lot to talk about with that I mean it's just kind of uh it's the trend I'll tell you right now like today's movies there's going to be very little trivia and very little background notes because these movies are just not well enough known and they're not a big enough release movie to, or, you know, either of them. And it, it's just kind of, it's kind of tough. But uh, starting with the plot, uh, plot synopsis. Two lifelong friends enter into a suicide pact. Despite their initial plans to carry it out immediately, they elect to have one last day to tie up some loose ends. Okay. So, getting into it. At the beginning of this movie, two guys are holding guns to each other's heads. And one black guy, one white guy. They seem like they're friends. And then we immediately flash back to earlier that day. And we see what's going on. Kevin is the white guy. He is in the mental hospital. And he is, you know, he's basically like dealing with a lifelong bout with depression and all that stuff. And... Nothing's really been able to help him. He's not really been able to do anything about it. You know, he's just kind of stuck and he really wants to be done. And he'd attempted suicide a few days before this. He's just not really in a good place. And the doctors are trying to help him. But they're also, you know, they don't have such a bleak outlook on everything that he does. So, it, like, he sees it as, like, okay, it's fucking over. I'm not going to get any better. This is not going to get... This is not going to change. And so, you know, he just kind of seems like he's fed up with psychiatry and, and having his head examined and all this stuff. Val, who is the black guy from the beginning of the movie, he works somewhere shoveling 
mulch into buckets and gets promoted involuntarily, it would seem. And there's a a pretty graphic scene where Val goes into the bathroom and tries to hang himself on the the hook on the back of the stall door with his belt. You know, basically he gets interrupted and he can't do it. Basically, like, this entire, this entire movie, I noticed that, like, the soundtrack was all over the fucking place. Like, it was not necessarily all bad, but it was just like, holy shit, where are we coming from with the soundtrack? Because there's not even, like, a theme or, like, anything remotely similar to a theme. I mean, it's gone from, like, happy-go-lucky in the beginning of the movie to 90s country to screamo metal, and I I don't know where they're coming from. I mean, it's... It's really goofy, but Val goes to the mental hospital to break out Kevin. You know, he starts smoking and he's, he's like basically just trying to cause trouble. And so this nurse like comes up and, or this, you know, tech or whatever you want to call it, um, walks up and like tells him he can't be smoking in there. And that, you know, if the guests aren't going to follow the rules, the, the patient won't be allowed to have guests anymore. So they, they end up breaking out because the lady opens the window to let the smoke out of the room and they, and she walks away and they basically just turn and run. And it's like, holy fucking shit, man. So we're in the car with Val and Kevin it's revealed that Val has two handguns. Val asks Kevin if he wants, you know, if they want to kill each other, you know. And he asks Kevin if he would do it. And it's, at this point, I was noticing that it was like, the, the movie's a lot more grounded in reality than a lot of other movies are. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like a big Hollywood movie. It feels more indie and it feels more realistic, you know. And that's just kind of the way it is. And I, I like it. I mean, I, I like that part of it. So basically, they get down to wanting to shoot each other. We get back to the starting scene of the movie. Kevin can't go through with it. He needs more time, and he's just freaking out. And Val's pissed at him because he was gonna, you know, he was gonna kill himself a few days before, and then now all of a sudden it's like he can't fucking do it, and it's, you know, it seems like bullshit. And so they decide to give themselves one last day. Kevin wants to go all out for one last day, and so they just kind of decide they're going to go and do some things that they, you know, some loose ends that they have to tie up that they want to take care of. They go to this diner, and Kevin sees this guy that he knew from high school. This guy clearly is like, he was a bully in high school, and he doesn't really recognize the impact that that has had on this guy's life, you know? And it just doesn't bother him at all, and he's like telling stories that no person could possibly tell and not realize how dramatic and how, you know, ridiculously awful they are, you know, and and he's just telling the stories in front of his wife, and the wife is kind of like, oh, you, you know, and it's like, okay, I mean, I guess. It's from here that, you know, the the people leave, they tell him, they tell Kevin that they're going to this lake, you know, they're going to bring their little daughter with them that's in the carriage with them, and, or, you know, the stroller, I guess I'm not, like, 75 years old so a stroller and basically it really sets Kevin off that this guy ran into him at the diner Kevin wants to go and you don't really know why but he wants to kill this doctor he used to have and so they decide to go they they go in and they bring the guns that that Val had 
and they like want to go upstairs and they want to find this doctor and they want to see if they can get him to come out and say hi. And it's like the lady at the front counter could not seem more innocent and she's just so happy and she, she thinks that they were really excited to go see the doctor. So she goes back to get the doctor and guess what? He's not fucking there. It's not happening. And she's telling them like, hey, you know, if you want, you know, you could come back later when he's got an appointment. You know, the the patient that we have that was supposed to be here bailed out on their appointment or whatever. It's like they go, they decide, all right, fuck it, we'll come back later. And so, you know, they would just plan on coming back later that day. And they go to a gun range and Kevin shows that he really doesn't know how to handle a firearm. Like he's not a good shot at all. And he's just fucking terrible at it and he just keeps shooting 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 and nothing's fucking hitting the target at this point it's it should be noted that val's girlfriend has been calling him but you didn't really know at the beginning of the movie if that was what it was but like that's that's how it kind of opens up after um after we see the the very opening scene you know we've got we've got val ignoring this phone call from his girlfriend and he listens to a voicemail from her and she's been trying to call him and she she says that she's pregnant and it's his so val tells kevin a story about how he went to buy an engagement ring for his girlfriend you know her name's tasha and you know it's like he goes and it meant, you know, he's like talking about how in the moment when he was buying it, it felt like it meant so much and it was so significant. And then it was like he got, he, he left the store and it was like it immediately melted away and he didn't really feel like that anymore and he can't really explain it. It, it, it was like he basically explains it as it would have only solidified the life that he wasn't happy with and that would have been it, you know, and so he he's like thinking he's going to return the engagement ring so the two guys go back to their you know their old one of their old jobs and they're like working at a a dirt bike racetrack and i mean it wasn't clear initially what they actually did because it's like were they repairing these dirt bikes or were they just coordinating races and you know keeping an eye on everything or something you know i mean just what on earth would you be doing at this racetrack but anyway they ride around on dirt bikes for a little while and val val really didn't want to do it like he wasn't that excited about it and then he falls off his dirt bike and like breaks his leg they go to the they go to this gas station to see if they can find some first aid stuff and the guy at the register basically tells them to fuck off like because he's counting down the drawer like he just started the day and he's got to count down the drawer before he can do anything and then Kevin goes out to the the car and gets you know the 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 gun from the glove box and brings it in and makes the guy give them the stuff that they want and then he pays for it and leaves and it's always kind of like a you know, one of those things where it's like, is that, I mean, it's obviously a crime, but it's like, is the guy going to fucking, you know, call the cops on him or not? (laughs) There's a quote that Kevin, Kevin keeps saying stuff like trying to be profound in this movie. And like, he doesn't, it's not always bad. It's just kind of funny, you know? And he says to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that prisoner was you. And so, yeah, that's, that's where, that's where he's coming from on a lot of this stuff. He's trying to be so over the top about stuff. And they go to Val's dad's mechanic shop because Val, you know, as, 
it's come to the light throughout the movie that Val was abused by his dad when he was younger. Apparently his dad stole some money from him and like like two or three grand or something like that. Uh, Val, Val just wants to get his money back. And since Lindell won't give it back, he just doesn't, he doesn't see any other option but to break into the register at the front of the, at the front counter and just take the money out of there and just leave and be gone with it. And so Val takes that money and then he goes to the jewelry store where he bought the engagement ring. He returns the engagement ring and then... Uh, Kevin sits in the car contemplating with the gun and Val says he has to stop at his girl's house because, you know, he's, he's basically going to give her all this money so that he won't, you know, so that he feels like he can give her some, some kind of support when he's gone to basically like leave her be and not help raise the child, right? Cause he's just, he doesn't, he doesn't want to live anymore. So that's kind of where he's at with it. While Val is stopped at the house, Kevin goes riding somewhere, listening to this Papa Roach uh, last resort song that he'd been wanting to listen to since the beginning of the movie. And it's like, he just keeps keeps blaring it. And then we see Val, you know, he's we're back at the girlfriend's house and she comes outside and he, he initially just wants to leave her with with the money, but she tells him he should try and man up and just get help and be a father, you know, which is reasonable. I mean, it's totally reasonable. I don't know. I mean, and Kev has gone to kill the bully. Like, this is what he's he was doing while Val's talking to his girlfriend. He goes to kill the bully that he saw in the diner. So it's like she's... So he, the guy is there with his wife and kid, and Kevin can't do it. And then then we see a flashback during the sequence where, you know, the, the doctor... Basically, long story short, the doctor, like, molested Kevin who is, he's played by Henry Winkler. And so he's just, he's kind of, uh, you know, you, you know that that's obviously had a huge impact on his life. And so he just, that's, that's kind of explaining why he wants this doctor dead. And it's just the explanation of it all is just a little crazy. But then they go from, you know, like Kev goes back to pick up Val and they go, they're going to go to the hospital and they're going to go up and see the doctor. And when they get there, Kevin goes to shoot the doc, you know, he goes upstairs with the the gun in his waist and he pulls the, you know, he pulls the gun on the doctor and he's going to kill the doctor and the safety is on so he can't fucking kill him and the doctor gets the gun away from him and then Val is coming up to see what's going on. When he walks in, the doctor is holding the gun and he's not like threatening to shoot him or anything, but Val doesn't know that. So he just fucking, Val shoots the doctor right then and there and they have to flee because the chick from the front desk saw, or, you know, like walked out and saw them out there and everything that had happened. And so they fucking take off and there's all sorts of shit going on and, and the, the cops start chasing, you know, they're driving away in Val's Jeep and they start chasing him and they are, you know, Val and Kev are, are fleeing the scene. And, um, Kevin is talking while the cops are chasing them about how he's ready to die and he's good to go and he doesn't need to be on this planet anymore and blah, blah, blah. And he's basically getting drunk. Like he's 
drinking this liquor that's in the car. I think it's like whiskey or something. And Kevin starts going off about how great Val is and talking about how wonderful he is and how he can't believe it and all this stuff. And it's like, it's so weird. Like it's, but it feels so genuine. You know what I mean? Like it feels like something that would really happen with, if you were in that situation, somebody would say that to somebody else. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, man, I'm getting this off my chest before I die, you know? And they go back to the dirt bike track and the cops chase them all the way there they go in, they steal a couple of dirt bikes, they're riding out, and they're, they're trying to run away, and basically Kevin crashes and seemingly breaks his leg. They're in this big standoff with the uh, police, you know, the police all have their guns drawn, and the guys have their guns drawn, and everything's bearing down on these guys, and, and Kevin just fucking offs himself, and so it's like, it's pretty fucked up, but, you know, what can you do? And... We, uh, we then, you know, after it fades to black on that, we see Kevin is dead and then Val is with his girlfriend and their, and their child and he's wearing a DOC jumpsuit and I'm not really sure how this whole thing works where they have like the, the kids and wives visiting the prisoners in this situation. I don't know how that works. I've never heard of that, but I guess it might be a thing. Because I, but I would think like violent criminals would not be eligible for that kind of thing. But I could be wrong. So all that's that's kind of where we leave this movie is you know he's Val's basically like seemingly happy with you know the fact that he has a child now. He's got this girlfriend. You know it's like I'm not super keen on the message because it's like basically it's like don't don't tell me that just just having a wife and kids will clear everything up for you or, you know, have some, having some sense of responsibility is not enough. You've got to have more than that. And it's like, this movie is leading me to believe that that's, that's 100% all it cares about and all that will make it better. So anyway, we see some really nice shots here and there. And there's like this POV from the front of the car when they're driving. That's pretty nifty. I, I hadn't really seen one like that. And I would say, even though the acting is not Oscar caliber, it does feel very genuine. It feels very real. I, I don't know how to put my finger on exactly what the difference is. It's a fairly well or- orchestrated plot that, that they have here. There's a lot of messages and themes throughout that, that really resonate. And it, you know, it makes you think. Um, as far as criticism, I would say this movie was super depressing at a lot of points. It was not you know, if I would have known that that was going to be what the movie was about, given my mental state, you know, what it is normally, I don't know if I'd ever be in a great mood to choose to watch this movie knowing that information, but I probably would have avoided it if I would have known. Runtime, 86 minutes, budget, unknown, worldwide gross, $54,000, IMDb rating, 7.0, Rotten Tomato Critics Score, 85%. Rotten Tomato Audience Score, 76%. Personal Rating, 4 out of 5 stars. Then we move on to the little movie called Mayhem. The movie Mayhem came out on November 10th, 2017. Directed by Joe Lynch. Written by Matthias Caruso. Producer, no notable producers. Soundtrack Score, Composer... Steve Moore, 
Steve Yin is the character Derek. Samara Weaving, who I have noted here is hot, albeit a little young in this one. I still feel okay saying that I can objectively say that she is hot, you know, given that I'm like 12 years older than she would have been in this movie. Anyway, she plays the character Melanie. By the way, Samara Weaving, I didn't mention this, but she is the niece of Hugo Weaving, who was in V for Vendetta, and he played Agent Smith in the the Matrix movies. And yeah, so she was in, Samara Weaving was in The Babysitter, which is, I think, a Netflix movie. Uh, Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Bill and Ted Face the Music. Okay, and then we've got Stephen Brand, who plays the character John Towers. Caroline Chikatsi, who plays the Siren. And then we have Carrie Fox and Dallas Roberts, who I'm not going to be able to remember who their characters were, and I don't really care because they were pretty insignificant. Okay, so no major casting notes. Plot synopsis. A virus that makes people lose all inhibitions is unleashed on a corporate office building. During quarantine, a man and a woman must fight to win back his job and an extension on her loan. Okay, so yeah, basically. So at the beginning of the movie, we get voiceover narration from Derek, the main character, explaining how the virus works like what it is why you know why it's so dangerous and all this stuff and it makes you lose your inhibitions and do stuff like punching your boss or fucking a co-worker or whatever and it's called commonly the red eye virus and they it's really cool throughout the movie you see you know everybody has one red eye that you know is just standing out as um as they're they're doing things and you're like supposed to know from that that it's that means they're infected and the virus so the big point is that the virus can't kill but the people who have the virus can kill you know so so it's not a deadly virus but it is a virus that makes you more apt to murder someone which is you know obvious i guess so apparently a guy walked on a murder charge for, you know, killing someone while he was infected with a virus. And basically, Derek was the one that found the loophole that got him off in his case. And so, you know, that got him a corner office at work and all this stuff. And we see our protagonist, Derek, for the first time. He is just like a, a really cliche corporate drone. He's like standing in an elevator being ignored by everybody. Everybody's just in the rat race. You know, and he's just, I mean, basically Derek's trying to climb the ladder. He wants to get to the next step in his career. He wants to get, you know, get into a a better position every day and all this stuff. And he's so consumed with work that he's like blowing off important events, like time with his family and things like that. And it just, it it is what it is. Like he's just that kind of guy and his, you know, his whole life is consumed with work. And Samara Weaving comes to um to Derek and he and she's pleading for an extension for her client or it's actually for her she's claiming it's the client but she's like you know basically I just need an extension on this loan I just need to you know make it work and Derek shoots her down and says no I don't think so and 
it's it's in this moment after you know Samara Weaving is supposed to have left that it's become clear that Derek's gotten infect, infected. Like we see his uh, close up shot, a zoom in, like microscopic view of you know the virus making its way to his hand and stuff by touching the drinking glass, and and so he goes to see this chick named the Siren that she's the one that pulls all the strings with the company and and she's just kind of an asshole like she honestly doesn't have a lot of a lot of good qualities but yeah she's just she's a piece of shit but she's she's super powerful and she kind of is shown to be like heavy a heavy influence on the uh the upper management at this company. And so we see this guy that is like the head guy at this company that Derek works for called TSC. And I thought it was Ben McKenzie, but it's not. It It's a guy that looks like he could be Ben McKenzie's older brother, maybe, but definitely not Ben McKenzie. I, I kept thinking as I'm watching this movie, because it was really like fast paced and like there's pretty much always something happening. And I didn't really have a lot of time to write out everything that was going on and fill in all the blanks. So I, I trust you're not using my podcast as an actual walkthrough. I I would I would prefer you use this the podcast to supplement the the viewing of the movies, not just listen to the podcast and never have seen the movie. And you know, if you have an intention of watching it, that is. I mean, I guess if if you don't want to watch it then you're you know more power to you you can do whatever you want um i will say that the acting in this movie was kind of lacking it was pretty over the top it was it it was a little too much here and there but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't wholly terrible either and so Derek gets fired for basically mouthing off too much and all this shit and and the people and the the people who made it happen kind of have a stranglehold on the company so Derek doesn't really stand a fighting chance to get back in there and all of a sudden the CDC comes and locks the place down for 8 hours of quarantine and that's like the the period of time that they need to eradicate the virus like basically all the symptoms will go away after 8 hours and it's at this point you know like Samara Weaving's character, Melanie and Derek, are kind of back together, or back, you know, in the same room, not together as in a couple. And, you know, it's like they're, they basically work out that, like, yeah, Derek admits he's a piece of shit and he's sorry for what he did and, you know, how he didn't grant her an extension. She kind of, like, lets it slide and says okay, and she decides she's going to work with him to try and get what she needs. And I'm just not buying that Derek does not have a thing at this point for Samara Weaving. Like, she's too good looking of a person not to have a thing for her. I'm sorry. Like, even even on a very shallow level, even if he doesn't feel like he's actually uh, in a position where he's actually wanting to get involved with her, it's like he still would probably want to fuck her. And so the real plot is, as you could guess, set forth by this whole quarantine thing because... You know, the fact that they have to be in quarantine and everybody's stuck in this office building for eight hours is completely ridiculous. And like, that's where the mayhem comes in. And there's a lot of fighting and violence and gore in this movie. And so far, you know, up to that point, I had really liked it. You know, it was like really well done. 
And I will say, I was also thinking that if Derek and Melanie end up together, they they had a lot of work to go with their chemistry because they were not, you know, super seeming like they were compatible with each other. You know, like she was, I mean, way out of this guy's league. I mean, let's get fucking real. I mean, that's, that's all there is to it. And th- so they decide they're going to go on a rampage through this fucking office building where all this chaos is going on and they're running around and Samara Weaving grabs a nail gun and I gotta say it always annoys the shit out of me in movies when there's a nail gun because so frequently uh, the, the nail gun will not have its safety features at all and nobody ever has to like rig it up to make it work without the safety features because basically you have to apply pressure like you have to be holding the there's like a little like spring-loaded thing on the front of the nail gun that has to be held down and then when you squeeze the trigger it will shoot a nail but if you don't do that it won't do anything and that's not what this movie represents it just basically has her shooting a nail gun like it's a regular pistol and it doesn't it it aggravates me to no end that they do that and I, I was also mentioning that numerous times, whenever I see Samara Weaving, and I've only ever seen like this and maybe one or two other movies or, you know, previews for something that she's in, I always think to myself that she does resemble her uncle a little bit, you know, like her uncle Hugo. And it's like, I can't tell if that means like, do I find Hugo Weaving attractive or is she just good looking and she happens to look a little bit like him, but she's still very womanly and you know, all that stuff. I don't, I don't have answers guys. I'm just asking the questions and I, I really enjoy there's, there's a moment where through all the chaos there, uh, Derek and Melanie are waiting for something and they're, they're talking about, you know, like Derek says three favorite bands and Melanie says, a bunch of metal bands and then um and, and he's kind of surprised by what she says and he goes he goes oh yeah yeah I'm, I'm surprised by that and she's like why were you expecting like dave matthews band or something and he's like hey now you know and like they have this big big long back and forth about dave matthews band and how you know dave matthews band is not as bad as it seems and all this stuff it's it's a pretty entertaining little bit and Honestly, like at this point, based on Samara Weaving's performance, I would say that she should be in way more shit. She's she's not really in much, but she's she's good. I mean, she's actually she's got some talent, and I think if she um, gets more work, she will get there. Earlier in the movie, I I forgot to mention this because I didn't make a note of it until now. But somebody says something about they the people were going to act all coked out that were. Um, infected with this virus and it's like okay and and they said they said oh no 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 it'll be way worse than being coked out that's that's for sure you know and it's like but you don't see it you know what I mean like they say it's worse than being coked out these guys are not even like that wired up you know what I mean a lot of them are just like relaxing and you know it's like because it's like to me every every inkling to be violent or to fuck someone it's like for me it's like if you're walking around with samara weaving there are gonna be dudes that want to fuck her and they're gonna try and fuck her you know what i mean that's the way this virus is painted up and that's what i don't understand is it doesn't seem like it's being very even-handedly uh shown and so so the siren is supposed to 
supposed to destroy the the key card that Derek needs to get up to the the top floor and basically she doesn't because she needs leverage over him you know she needs to at least be able to do something and so she she sends it to her her she throws it to her assistant tells her assistant to put it somewhere that she doesn't know about and the assistant takes it and then Derek and Melanie come up and it's like what I I don't know. I mean, it was a really bizarre sequence because it's like all of a sudden, like they get the upper hand. They're, you know, they're going to kill the siren and the siren's like, oh no, you know, I've got the card, blah, blah, blah. And they, they show the assistant comes back in with, you know, the card and it's all fucked up. Like it, it's all melted and shit. And she says that she put it in a microwave because... The people upstairs knew that the siren would double cross her. It's way too much to explain, but that's the kind of shit I'm talking about. Like, it's not that complicated, but it's just a lot to write down in the moment while it's happening and still pay attention. Um, And so Derek kind of looks over the foreclosure paperwork because he feels bad. You know, he, he, he did this to Melanie. And I, and so basically he's like, talking about how they need to figure out a way to get an extension for whatever. And the main bad guy sends a video. Towers is his name. Um, And and he shows that he's killed Derek's friend. And I just don't know. I mean, and so that's the thing is that's what I'm saying with this. Like, okay, he kills this guy and they're like together. And there's the beginnings of romantic tension there. And they just then fuck, you know, like they, they fuck then and there, but it's like, why, like, how would that have not happened sooner? You know what I mean? It didn't say it had to be a mutual thing. Like he wanted to fuck her. I saw the way he looked at her. Come the fuck on. Like it's, I just don't, I don't buy the way it's, it's all set up. Um, and the lady from upstairs, she, you know, they have the, the board of, you know, the board of trustees or whatever you want to call them. And she, they basically tried to get her because they, they need her to be able to get upstairs. And so they use this guy in IT to hack her computer and get her to come down. And she's going to plan a gun and be ready to kill the two of them. And then it doesn't work out because Derek figures out that that's what's happening and takes the gun. It, it I mean, the whole thing just plays out kind of wonky, but yeah, it's at this point where I said, this one is fucking tough to walk through. So I'm sorry if I'm like stammering or delaying or anything. It's just, I'm like trying to read notes because I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, but it's not, you know, it's not that easy to remember. But basically the main guy, the main bad guy, they get upstairs. The main bad guy offers him a deal. Derek, he, he says, Hey, you know, we'll give you a deal. We'll make you a partner for this firm. And you know, cause that's what the, the board of trustees is, is like, they're all the partners. And it's like, Derek says, no, he doesn't want this offer. He doesn't like it at all. And there's a big fight between Derek and towers and towers, um, is using golf clubs to attack him. And it's just, it's all kind of ridiculous, but, um, and I'm trying to picture like towers walking in to work, carrying a bag of golf clubs. Like I, I just can't wrap my mind around it. Um, and Derek, after he defeats towers, he gets the chance to get his job back 
and he gets it and he uses it to give uh, Melanie an extension and then he just tells them to fuck off like he says he quits right after he does it and I guess at the end of the movie we're supposed to like they're supposed to end up together I, I don't know I mean I'll promise you this it's it's better than I've been able to spell out that it is but it's just it's not too too terribly easy to talk about I mean it's it's not easy to walk through but I do like the originality the pacing was great the cinematography and the effects for sure I love the gore and the effects um a little bit of criticism the acting is a bit shitty for some you know it's some of them just really don't step up and you know deliver their a game and then the symptoms of the virus, like I said, are not fully committed to. And, of course, it bugs me that fucking nail gun bullshit that movies do. Because, I mean, you're just not going to walk up to any old... Because, for the most part, I don't know of many people that are, like, disabling the safety features on a nail gun. Especially if they're working on a job site like that. Like, no thanks. So, some trivia. Just a little teeny bit. Uh, the people having sex in the beginning of the movie are a couple in real life and are actually having sex. Because they, like, are showing the scene where this guy kills, you know, he kills, he's the guy that Derek got off. And so, he, he he's killing somebody, but they're showing all the chaos going on around him. And then, the convo about Dave Matthews' band was not originally in the script. And... The building the movie was shot in was only three floors, but is made to look much larger. And that's, I mean, that's very true. Like, I, I thought this movie was like, or this uh, building was like 20 fucking stories or some shit. Runtime, 86 minutes. Budget, $2.5 million. Worldwide gross, $17,000. IMDb rating, 6.4. Rotten Tomato Critic Score, 84%. Rotten Tomato Audience Score, 66%. Personal Rating, 4 out of 5 stars. Yes, that is how I feel about it. It is not super duper perfect, but I like the originality so much that it's. It, I'd love to see more movies like this. If I had to see movies that had the problems this movie had and still get that originality and that fun aspect, I could really enjoy it. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't complain about it at all. But yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. Um, okay, so that's, that's all we got. Um, just to give you a, a sense check on this whole thing, I am recording this now. And just yesterday, I posted the Getting Even With Dad and Serving Sarah episode, which is the first in the change of formats. So for you to understand, basically looking at, you know, three months worth of content that I've I've put out since this, you know, I mean, just, and now who knows, you know, today when, when this comes out, who knows how much farther down the line I will be recording episodes, or maybe I'll have thrown in the towel, who the fuck knows. All right, everyone, thank you for tuning in as always. I do appreciate it. Uh, you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr. 